Marcus, TC, how's your trades going? Excellent as always. Good, good. What'd you say, Marcus? No, I was going to welcome TC. Thanks for being here, man. And of course, yeah, trade. Yeah, Bitcoin number go up only, right? Yeah, the hash hash rate I'm, goes up only. That's what's going on right now. I'm not that, talking about the yeah, price. Yeah, that's, that's been making my about, eyes you know? pop. <laughs> <laughs> for real. Yeah, yeah, we should talk about that. I don't know. Are you like a hash rate specialist, TC? I I don't consider myself a, a hash rate specialist, but I have been uh, I've been doing my own version of the the mining journey uh, for a little bit more than a year. Um, what do you What do you mean? Your, like, what do you mean your version of the of a mining journey? Well, he has his um, own mining setup. <laughs> but I don't know. It's, I don't it's know. been it's been know. a roller coaster. I'll I'll, I'll explain. Uh, you know, yeah. basically. Uh, I, I was really wanting to get into mining the more that I learned about Bitcoin. Um, initially, mostly just to try to maybe get some more KYC free sats and also just to understand more about that side of things. And uh, for a variety of reasons, I, I didn't really make any moves until summer last year. If you you recall, we had this big event with China banning miners or miners shutting off in China, miners fleeing China. This whole event happened that caused the hash rate to absolutely plummet yes. by about 50%. 50% right? Yeah, right. it was uh, it was stunning. So as that was unfolding, because that was basically in the matter of about like two weeks that whole drop occurred two or three weeks the miners dream yeah i mean like so so basically just as i was you know getting more and more determined that i wanted to do something and kind of kicking myself for you know procrastinating in any way all of a sudden this incredible opportunity opened up as i saw it i saw it as this is incredible look at the 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 difficulty drop because you know, for, for those that don't know, the, the hash rate uh, affects what's called the difficulty adjustment, which is every 2016 blocks, roughly every two weeks, the Bitcoin protocol readjusts the difficulty, which uh, basically when more people are trying to mine and the hash rate's higher, the difficulty gets higher as well. And when a bunch of people take hash rate offline, like what happened last summer, and the hash rate drops, the difficulty drops, which means it's easier to find blocks for the people that are mining. Um, so this, this, this incredible drop in hash rate, 50% drop, it, it caught my attention as I'm sure it did anyone else who was keeping an eye on the, on the yeah. mining scene. And oh, it's yeah. like, oh my God, now's the time. Like if I jump in, if, <laughs> if I jump in right now, um, like, like the way yeah. to think of it, it's, it was like mining FOMO. It was like the not most... To mention, not to mention the price of them as well, right? Because I remember mining rigs, rigs were, uh, what was it? S19 was selling for what, like thirteen, fifteen thousand dollars 15000 And well, okay, even so right if, now, you, you can get them if a lot I recall, If I recall those, those like kind of right around the 100 terahash mining machines, which was like the kind of standard, standard uh, you know, efficiency mining machines, this cycle 
um, those were like eight, 9,000. And then they started going up really quick, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000. That was the interesting thing is that mm-hmm. as the hash rate dropped, you might expect there to be like a flood of, of, of ASICs on the market, which might make the price go down. But I wasn't the only person who saw that difficulty go down. <laughs> I wasn't the only one who got that mining FOMO. And yes. so the, the prices actually started going up pretty quick. Um, so I, I was getting in right when those kind of machines were around 10,000. And um, okay. so- Do you have any what, idea what it cost now? Oh, well, yeah, no, now that same kind of machine you can find for like 2,500, sometimes 2,000, sometimes I heard, I heard someone just picked up an S19J Pro for $1,600. The the market has absolutely collaped there. That's a different story. How do you explain that though? How can the hash rate be going up yet the mining rigs, the prices are going down? Because it seems like everybody's plugging in more miners. It actually does make sense because because the hash rate being at all time highs right now means it's as competitive as it's ever been. So that hundred terahash machine is actually getting you less Sats income than it did a year ago after the fifty percent drop. And at the same time, the price of Bitcoin has plummeted. So the dollar profit of that smaller amount of Sats that you're earning, it's a squeeze. That's what's happening. It's a squeeze now on anyone who's mining with less efficiency, which brings us back to my story, right? I live in California, okay? And we have <laughs> insanely expensive energy yeah. here, yeah. right? When I, when I was getting started, my, my uh, like a year's worth of energy bills, it was between like 21 cents and 23 cents kilowatt hour. And I'm sure anyone That's who minds crazy. hearing those numbers That's is insane. like wincing. They're, they're, you're, you're like, you're curling into fetal position, listening to those, those prices of energy. But guess what? When I started mining at home and my utility company saw that increase in energy usage, my 23 cents went up to 44 cents. Oof. So I got the sledgehammer from the utility company basically telling me, uh-uh, you are not going to mine at home. So that that's what happened to me that that was actually um the second thing the first thing was is i actually got involved in uh the infamous compass mining uh because at the time that was like before we talk about compass before compass just so like anyone who's listening right so you said your the price per kilowatt hour was about 21 to 25 cents i think is what you said 21 to 23 yeah to 23 and what's profitable normally around seven cents just to get like four with and a with half a, with a hundred terahash machine you want to be right around six cents six um, cents. you start get, right. you start getting closer to 10 cents and uh it's it's like getting close to break even yeah uh, the people that are making a killing are you know operating with three four cents or cheaper and uh but basically (laughs) like i I was sitting there like mining fomo and i looked at my options and there was this thing called compass mining which at the time despite some you know seasoned plebs like warning against it it looked like a a potential to kind of at least get some hash online right away Mm -hmm. and so i i i i became a customer of compass and i started doing that remote mining with them and that was actually like really like I got really lucky as it turned out in retrospect. I uh so, I so got some machines mining online. for the newbies. 
it's like a hosted service, right? So you basically pay for yeah. money, but you don't actually host it at home. They have like their warehouse or whatever where they like plug it in for yeah, you. Yeah, you, you buy the machines from them and then they are supposed to run it at one of their many facilities and then you yeah. pay them a monthly hosting fee, which and is supposed to cover the, the electricity. And they were running and they were running a lot of those out of Russia, right? Right. Well that, that say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um <laughs> so hey, before I, before we get into that, let me just do a little intro for anyone <laughs> who's watching, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We're going to get, we're going to get right back into this because this is good stuff. Okay. So first of all, welcome everybody to Bitcoiners guide. Uh, this is the show that we wish we would have had when we first started learning about Bitcoin. So we made it for you. Uh, we're your host, Big Sean Harris, Plan Marcus. We have a special guest today, Mr. TC. He goes by meditation man on Twitter. We are pumped to have him because this dude knows a lot about a lot in Bitcoin and uh right what he said right no one here is a specialist no one's an expert we're just plebs guys that have uh, gone down the rabbit hole and gone down many different rabbit holes whether that's energy bitcoin mining hash rate learning everything and trying to learn as much as we can about what money is and i guess in, in the long run we've gone down the what is money rabbit hole so uh getting back into this tc dude let's, <laughs> let's keep talking about what's going on yeah yeah so so compass is like just it was it was like in retrospect it's kind of too too good to be true just because it's kind of like you you just pull the trigger on purchasing these machines and like they run them for you you get to point the hash power at whatever mining pool you want um which was the only kind of like real independent check i had on whatever they were doing um so i had a slush pool account and i i you know i got lucky like when I, when I started uh, paying them and getting involved with them, they actually got two machines up and running for me uh, in the first like two weeks. And what I found out soon after was that a bunch of people had signed up with them and not got their machines turned on. And in fact, that turned into a whole scandal. People waiting like six months, a year, even like outrageous, crazy stuff going on. So uh, the TLDR on Compass Mining is um, buyer beware and probably just good idea to stay away because they got a lot of uh, problems. It's a it's a it's a very challenging industry to offer that kind of service in, and it feels like they were um, not really operating with the most uh, integrity. Um, and uh, it, it's been a one fiasco after the next with them. In fact one of the two miners that I got with them was in Russia because they had like this four cent kilowatt hour hosting fee in Russia. Cause the energy is so cheap there. Yeah. And then uh, earlier this year, we, uh, we, everyone who had a, a miner in Russia with compass lost their miner because well, thanks, uh, U S sanctions, right? Yeah, man. Uh, Janet Yellen over at the secretary, uh, the, the treasury, they decided to sanction the company that Compass was partnered with in Russia, and everyone who had a, a Russian miner with Compass lost their miner. That was a that was a real disaster. So you didn't get um, paid, they didn't pay you back for the miner. You just lost it, dude. It I got like I got like literally like seventy bucks back or something from them. It was a joke. Oh, oh, um, wow. And at the time, I had earned back um, just under half of my initial investment. So I, I took a big hit losing yeah. that machine. Um, but but basically like. Uh, you know, rewind back to mid 2021. And I, I got 
you know, that hosted mining scenario up and running and sats were flowing in. And then I was like, okay, I got to do this at home. And so I got some miners to, to run in my garage. And by the end of the year, I was, I was mining in my garage. And then it was like January, February, when like these like disastrous energy bills came in my mailbox and basically and was, I had to end it. Was it, was it just because, so I imagine it's what PG&E out there. I'm from California too, right? I think PG&E or I don't know what it is, but whatever the energy company is out there, I imagine it wasn't just your energy that went up. It's everyone around you, right? Not it, yeah, just I mean, you because they noticed that your energy usage had picked up. Well, it's crazy. I started getting these like emails from the utility company that I'd never seen before. They're like, this is the average that, houses in your neighborhood use and this is what you're using and like it was like I was I I basically like tripled the energy use of my household and so it stuck out like a sore thumb but on top of it they did this thing where they just jacked me up to the highest tier which was more expensive Uh, per kilowatt hour pricing uh, and they basically used this like punitive pricing scheme to just get me to stop mining because it got me to stop. I basically was mining at home for two months and and I had to pull the plug. It was it was brutal. Yeah. So it's been a roller coaster say, you know, as far as mining. What uh, what what really stands out to me in this whole story is like the difference between now and then. Yeah. Like bear yeah. market versus bull market because during the bull market, everybody's like you know everybody's making like a killing left and right you know and people are like yeah stake your money here get interest here go mine with uh, with compass mining and you know all these things and there's like clubhouses and spaces full of people talking about all the opportunities and now yeah <laughs> there's always yeah. people warning and then like now in the bear market you really hear you know like oh right, you know in this case we were right or and now it's not it's not as um as pushy anymore you know i mean well it's yeah. crazy it's anyway, like just an like observation the, no yeah. you're 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 spot on marcus it's like the the market during the bull during this insane run-up it was like sky's the limit you had people telling like predicting like two three hundred grand bitcoin price yeah everybody there were people there were people pushing yeah. uh this is the this is the last yeah. cycle like we're not we're, we're not gonna have a bear cycle anymore like we're we're permable now and like so i got super i got cycle. wrapped up in some of that that was me <laughs> yeah I, I got super yeah, cycle. yeah yeah so, so it, th- there was like the aspect of risk as far as getting into something like compass and Think there was about. also the added like recklessness of like spending like way too much on mining equipment i mean if i could say one thing from my experience it would be to tell other plebs out there do not do not do not buy mining equipment during a bull market like exactly but isn't like now the time to buy mining equipment now is a phenomenal time to buy it seems like a great time well it's also nobody's talking about it now right well yeah that's when yeah, you because, want to, that's when you want to buy right it's the same with yeah. bitcoin right when the price was up at 50,000 everyone was asking you how to get in but no one's at like when the price was sitting at 9,000 for like 2 years straight no one was asking you like how to get into bitcoin you know it's the yeah, same i remember a good a good friend of ours bought um, bought some mining equipment in 2020 i believe it was yeah. summer of 2020 
And I remember him saying like in six months time, you know, like the value of his mining equipment went like up a three or four X as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, you could have made more profit reselling ASICs than you could uh, holding and selling Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. The, the, but, but that's the opportunity that's happening now. The interesting thing is the energy prices have continued to go up. And it's, it's so hard to be profitable mining um, in, in this kind of environment. But, but you know, yeah. this is what you'll hear if you talk to these veterans of mining who've been in it multiple cycles. If you can't cut it through the bear market, you, you're not going to last. Mining. So this is the time now you, you get the bonus of, of getting cheaper equipment, but you have to figure out where your cheap energy is coming from, where your efficiency is coming from, how to set up your whole setup to be, um, to be sustainable through, through the bear market. And then, and then you actually have a chance to be, uh, you know, a, a, a minor long-term It's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and All right. So, Okay, go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I thought you know, let's let's try to roll back a little bit on UTC because we're always interested. Like, <laughs> how do you get to Bitcoin? Because we've already jumped into like uh, right away to mining, but before you even thought of mining, of course, you. I mean, what what was the point you got into Bitcoin? If you want to talk about it, or what got you into Bitcoin, and how how did that go? Okay, so my my Bitcoin journey has to go all the way back to. Um, 2012, when I was at a oh, wow. wedding. Well, but but hold on, don't get excited. Uh, I was at a <laughs> wedding. Uh, whale of, alert! Of, whale of, alert! Of, whale of, close. Guy, no, 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 no. I wish well confirmed. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen to the story. I was at a wedding of a, a friend that I went to high school with, and it was a bunch of other dudes I had gone to high school with at that wedding. Um, and I'm talking to, uh, you know, another another friend who was there we were all supporting our buddy the winkle the, the winkle lost twins <laughs> nah nah it's just a dude i know who, he works at he works in tech and uh he was chewing my ear off about bitcoin and he was like dude there's this there's this thing there's this new money bitcoin was five dollars at the time <sighs> and of course it's a wedding oh my God. and drinking is happening and partying is happening. It was an amazing wedding. And man, whatever he told me went in one ear and out the other. And so this was an opportunity. I could have been a whale, but I, I missed it. But that's when the first time I remember anybody actually directly talking to me about Bitcoin. And then you have to fast forward to so around he, 2015. So, so did he know what he was talking about? He, he, he knew about it. He was excited about it. So in retrospect, knowing what Bitcoin's like, I have to assume he had been into it for a while because you, he been in contact with them for a while. Or since it's then? been, it, it's been a long time since I've actually caught up with this guy. I lost, I lost track of him a little oh, okay. bit, but um, That's probably it, he's on my time. list as somebody I got to track down. He, yeah. he, he, he yeah. probably did. He might've off dropped it. off the scene. You never know. That dude's the whale. My friend's he's the whale. You, bro. He's but, a, uh, I got yeah. enough one and I'm out of here. You yeah, know, you know, know, the joke is a lot of those stories from back then, you hear that a lot. It's like people who even bought in 2012 or 2013, a lot of them sold in 2014 yeah. or 2015. You know, it's like, true. Oh my God, it's, it's a, a thousand bucks. You know, I'm like, I made it. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he, and he would have made an absolute fortune. It wouldn't have been a, a dumb thing to, to take that profit at that time. But who knows? Yeah. Um, either way, for me, 2015, 2015 is the next milestone for me when I remember looking at it again and I started working for a company. I'm in tech too. I do some coding 
And uh, the company that I was working for was accepting Bitcoin for some of their products. Oh, wow. And they were a little bit of an early kind of, uh, you know, company in that regard. That that was like a major, a major facet of their business. But again, I was like, oh, wow, you, you guys accept Bitcoin for the products. That's cool. And then on to the next whatever like it it didn't like it didn't turn into action on my part it was really it's amazing when i think back about it but it's like why why do you think that it like why do you think that it didn't like obviously did you dismiss it now yeah why did you well because because the context wasn't there right as we all know you can't really understand the importance of bitcoin without understanding the problem that Bitcoin solves. Yes. And to me, at the time, I started working for this company. They're accepting Bitcoin for their products, but it didn't click for me why the people that were spending Bitcoin there were spending Bitcoin there. I perceived it only as these are people who are you know, speculating, gambling, buying and selling, trading this thing, and they're, they're spending it here so that they can spend it in the real world. And that's all I thought about it. I didn't have any context around it about money and the problems with money and, uh, you know, all of the bigger context that we know is so important to, to have a handle on to be able to appreciate Bitcoin properly. So I just didn't appreciate it even close to what I needed to, Mm -hmm. to, to take any action around that. And it was two years later, it was 2017. And I was working for another company at that point. And this is where it starts to get weird because that company actually had a shit coin and they (laughs) had done an ICO. Wow. And this is, this is like mid 2017. And I got hired with dirty ICO money from this company that had just sold a bunch of tokens to a bunch of bag holders. And uh, I didn't know any different, but all of a sudden I was working for a company that had a, a, a shit token and a bunch of the people that worked there were really into Bitcoin, crypto, the whole thing, yeah. right? Yeah. So I suddenly was surrounded with a bunch of you know co-workers and stuff that were into that stuff next thing you know i was like getting all the hype it was getting later into 2017 and the price started really moving and and that's mm-hmm. when i i i i got my act together and i and i started like actually digging in and i actually picked up some bitcoin and unfortunately i picked up some shit coins too i it, it my my whole beginning is similar to a lot of people at that time there was yeah. You know, there was Bitcoin, the, the big block size wars that just occurred. I had I yep. heard all these rumblings about people who had Bitcoin and they all of a sudden got the Bitcoin cash because they were like holding the Bitcoin when the when the fork happened. And so there was a lot of like confusion for a new person, plus just a lot of shitcoining going on. And I don't even think shitcoin was like a word in my vocabulary yet. So it was no. just all a big, like exciting, you know universe of crypto and fortunately for me like bitcoin was always like the number one and like my largest holding uh and it took me um a couple years to to really figure out like what else was going on there um 
I, I was basically probably a typical new person to all of that, just kind of like accumulating and doing a little bit of trading. And um, it was honestly 2019 when uh, I really kind of got a shock. I was watching that craziness in the repo market. 2019. Wow, that's what debt that's- market was debt market was screaming and the economy was teetering. And that was right around the time I I had a little bit of stocks and a stock portfolio. I sold it all. I started like watching some podcasts and stuff, some people who were really um, clued into what was going on with the, the macro scene. And I and I started kind of like refining my understanding of of macro and bonds and 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 what was happening in the economy. I was uh, watching some some of these gold bug people that were talking about hard money. And basically, as we went from the end of 2019 into the beginning of 2020 and COVID and then the big crash, all of that converged together for me and really gelled to a perspective of like, there's, a, there's just an awful problem here and it's right. not going to get solved. And I need a, a whole different game plan as far as my family, you know, during, during this whole story, during all these years, I, I got married, I had a kid. So by the time like 2020 rolls around, you know, versus going back to 2012, 2015, I was a family man now. And I had like more to more responsibility and more, more to look out for. And all that kind of converged that period of late 2019, early 2020. How do you culminating in that crash? How do you handle those conversations with your wife? Right. And, and when, when you're like, Hey, Bitcoin is actually something real. Um, I'm going to sell our stocks. I'm going (laughs) to, you know, how do you handle those type of conversations? Or was she just on board with it already? Like, you know, I I was thinking about that because I'm not married. I don't have any kids. So you know, I'm like, I'm CFO of my life easily. Like, it's so easy for me to make any changes. Yeah. I want to. But how do you handle that when you have your wife and you have your kid? Um, I mean, I would say as far as finances, I, I suppose I, I'm the CFO of the family. Like, that's just the dynamics we have in my family. I, I kind of, um, I'm, I'm, I'm making most of those decisions. I do um, talk to my wife about it and get her input, but I got a lot of, uh, support in that area. I feel blessed. Um, it's not like a situation where, um, I feel like there's like, you know, friction or doubt or, um, pushback, uh, when it comes to sort of the big picture, because I'm the one spending a lot of time reading books and, watching podcasts and these days having conversations on, on spaces and, you know, like, yeah, really like digging every day and trying to just like get to the bottom of a lot of this stuff. So you the saying- last couple of years, but last couple of years have been crazy. I would say like most of the conversations that I have in my, in my family with my wife, especially is like all about just clown world. It's all about like how crazy it is out there. We had a lot of conversations yeah. about what we're going to do about like, you know, school and our kid who's, you know, at the age where they should be going into school, but we're we're definitely going to be like homeschooling and like, you know, just trying to like get a beat on 
what do we do? Cause, cause it's getting so crazy out there. And, and do we need a, do we need to move? We have several friends who, who moved out of California and, you know, so it's like, those are the kind of conversations I get a lot more input from, from my wife on and the, and the financial stuff is a, is a little bit more my, my area. Yeah. Have you seen Princey has somewhat of a guide for homeschooling, if I'm not mistaken, I think. Yeah. I've actually checked that out. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, these type of things, right? Like this is what you want to make sure you're prepared for. And there's just so many people right now that that they don't pay attention to what's going on. They're not paying attention to like, I, I think the biggest thing for me when I was getting into Bitcoin was when I realized that the money will always be like the dollar will always be printed forever. And not only will it always be printed, but it'll, it's getting printed exponentially larger and large and larger portions and when that just clicked i was like mathematically this just doesn't make sense this this can't continue forever that is a lie it's it's a mathematical lie and and i had already known about bitcoin but i hadn't really gone down the rabbit hole yet i had just known oh there's 21 million of them and you know just the 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 top layer things that you know without like diving in and then when I kind of, when I realized that the dollar will be printed forever, then it just made sense. Oh, <laughs> like we are going to have to switch to a different currency eventually, to a different money. And it only makes sense to use a money that can last forever, which no fiat currency can last forever, while Bitcoin can because it, it never debases itself. And it's not set up in a system where it's programmed to debase, where where these currencies around the every fiat currency around the world, not only can they debase, which Bitcoin can't debase, but the way that the way that money is all credit, that all fiat currencies around the world are programmed to debase and eventually to go through inflation, then high inflation, and then hyperinflation and and collapse. And so that's what that's what really turned me on to to Bitcoin because it just made sense mathematically to me. No doubt. Yeah, was, but you, oh, go ahead, Marcus. No, I was just going to say, because like, like your story is like super relatable, right? And uh, you hear a lot of people like, when did you first come into Bitcoin? And it's usually their first touch point with Bitcoin or the first time they heard about it is often not the first time they bought it. So I could definitely relate with that. But I'm also curious when you said you really started digging like in 2019, you know, like what what to you like if you'd have to make like a top three or a top five i don't know of like most um yeah who were the voices or the podcasts or the, the information sources you you listen to the most that are still around and would you still recommend people to listen to those hmm that's a great question um you know, well, you know who i was listening to in 2019 was pomp and he was bitcoin yeah. only. like he was bitcoin only <laughs> And then all of a you sudden, know, I, I listened to Pomp too. I think everybody yeah. like checked his, he had a good show back then. It's actually weird because it was about six months ago. I watched an episode of his um, from that era. Um, it was only because of the guests that he had. I wanted to see what that person said. And I was like a little taken back by like, like Pomp was a little bit more grounded back then. He, he got weird in the last couple of years, you know, but like, um, but I mean, for me, like I, I, I was actually like, Okay, so there's two there's two people I'll point out um, that are still around. 
So one is actually a gold bug guy. His uh, name is Mike Maloney. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever watched his shit, yeah. but um, his series, the, the Hidden Secrets of Money, is fabulous. Oh, I would actually recommend any Bitcoiner check out the Hidden Secrets of Money series. It's I think it's seven, it might That's be right. nine. I don't know. I think it's it's. He makes a it's, big. He makes a big point on. He I remember that because that was a special that I watched watched too when I was going down this rabbit hole of what's hard money. Yeah, and he made this big point of there's currency and there's money. And you there's know? money. And he yep, yep, yep. Fiat so, and so the dollar me, is currency, right? Yeah. Sorry. Right. So so yeah, totally. Uh, the 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 Maloney stuff really hits because he's talking about the same problem that Bitcoiners talk about, right? It's the, it's the lack of hard money and it's this growing debt. If you don't watch his whole, whole series, I think I'm, I'm not sitting in front of this stuff, but I think it's episode four, but there's this one episode in that series where he, he basically breaks down how money is created. We, we, there's this little debate that goes on between Bitcoiners and macro guys. And the Bitcoiners are like, the Fed's printing money. And the macro guys are like, the Fed doesn't print money. Yeah. And it's like yeah. this whole thing, on, right? On, and it's yeah, like, the guys say, no, they don't actually print it. It's not injected into the system. Right. So, uh-huh. so that one episode, this is on YouTube? Some money, it's on YouTube. And I think it's episode four, but he shows, mm-hmm. it, there's like this animated diagram of it. And it shows how uh, money gets passed back and forth between the treasury and the fed. Yeah. And then it ends up basically in the system and how, you know, it, it's, it's this whole, like, it's, it, it's ridiculous when you really realize the whole thing is just a gigantic game of passing debt around. And, you know, this is also like, this goes back to that whole thing in the repo markets in 2019 Mm-hmm. Because that's what the repo markets is, is basically these, these banks just shuffling. Still waiting for your number debt. two, uh, Tisha. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the banks are just shuffling around this debt overnight yeah. just overnight. to squeeze out a couple drops of, of, of profit, of yield. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a shell game. Yeah, they're for, over, like, yeah. And for anyone sloshing this liquidity around. Yeah, for anyone listening, like, right, the repo rates are, the, are these overnight lending uh, rates that banks do that every night, right, the banks have to come to an agreement on, okay, we are going to close out with this much money. And if they lack money, they have to lend, they have to uh, receive money or get a loan from another bank. And they get those loans overnight, and then they pay them back the next day, or maybe they get them for seven days or something like that. So, but what happens is normally those rates are very low. And the reason why the rates are low is because there's a lot of trust in the system. But, but when this happened, I think it was in October, September, October of 2019. September, yeah. Yep. And you, if you go back to, those, to that time, you can look that the repo market broke. And what that means is that the rates just shot up. And that means is that the banks didn't trust the other banks. So there was no credit worthiness between banks. And so when that happened, uh, and that's when you had to lo- the Fed had to lower interest rates and they had to start, they were printing billions of dollars a day because the repo market broke. And, and basically, you know, what's crazy, Sean, is at that time, I think it was like, it was like maybe a couple hundred billion. I forget the exact amount that was moving hands each night. And that was like making people's jaws hit the floor. And now it's like 2.3 trillion. 
every night is wow. sloshing around in that repo market. It's bonkers. But yeah. um, it's Mike be Maloney, in the twenties of trillions in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. So, so, so back to the question, like, like Mike Maloney, uh, is is like a pretty based gold bug guy because not only does he have a very good way of communicating about the problem with money, he also is hip to Bitcoin too. Because one of the videos in that series. Uh, he actually touches on Bitcoin and unfortunately some other shitcoin stuff, but he at least is like open-minded and understands, uh, you know, what's going on with this kind of like new generation of, of like, you know, seeking to solve this problem through technology. I'm not sure if he's still looking at shitcoins, but I found it interesting, like back in, I don't know, it's 2018, 2019, like, I was watching that stuff and and he was into Bitcoin there. I would I would say I was thinking about this today actually, which is interesting that we're bringing. I wasn't thinking about Mike Maloney, I was thinking about gold bugs in general and specifically uh, Larry Lapard. And yeah, and I think about like right, we talk about time preference in Bitcoin, Bitcoiner, and that was a big thing that Safe brought up in the Bitcoin standard was having a low time time preference. In other words, sacrificing now for something better in the future. And it made me think that, you know, when I think about um, gold bugs, most gold bugs are boomers, right? And and it makes me think with Bitcoin, we can have an extremely low time preference because we don't know exactly when all of this is gonna play out. Is it gonna play out in five years? Is it gonna play out in 20 years, you know? But there's a, there's a good chance that with gold, that gold is still going to play out over the next, five, 10 or 15 years. And so, but obviously not as good as Bitcoin will. And so it made me think like, maybe just the fact that boomers are closer to dying, that they have a higher time preference. And that's why they hold on to gold because their time preference inherently has to be higher because their life is gonna end sooner than millennials are or Gen Gen X, right? Gen X millennials and Zoomers we can put a way lower time preference on things and we can, and that's why Bitcoin is a lot more palatable for us because it doesn't really matter what it does. We, in the short term, we know what's going to happen in the long term. but for someone who's in their seventies or eighties, you know, and they don't know how many more years of life they have left, then gold actually makes somewhat sense to me because your time preference has to be higher when, when you're at a moment where you're like, I don't know when I could die. Like people at that age randomly die, you know? Yeah. And, and, and also they, they would have a little bit more reluctance to, to maybe trust something technological because a lot of those boomers aren't necessarily as comfortable with technology and they, and they're also just more familiar with, you know, I mean, that's one thing I think gold has over Bitcoin is it's thousands of years of history. But when you, dive in and you really uh, understand technically how how robust and anti-fragile bitcoin is that kind of goes away but most of those boomers don't really do that deep dive so they they don't get to the point of like having enough you know trust in the technology um yeah I, i i like your thesis i think that's legit yeah and and it makes me even you know it makes me respect guys you know like like surfer jim right you know, he's a little bit older and he's all Bitcoin, no gold, like never talks about gold. So it makes me respect guys like that even more when I'm like, this guy's, you know, in that boomer generation. But 
but they understand Bitcoin and they're not using the high time. There, there's one hope for gold. And other than that, Bitcoin runs circles around gold on every single thing. Like actually, if you watch that Maloney series, he makes a big deal out of those sort of properties that makes hard money. Yeah. The, the verifiability and transportability, divisibility, all that kind of stuff, indestructible. And it's like he uses that to explain why, why gold is good money. Uh, and Bitcoin basically runs circles around gold yes. on all of those properties. But the one thing that the gold guys look at, and I think actually it's interesting because what's happening right now is making the probability of this scenario uh, slightly higher, I would say, is uh, if you've got some major country somewhere that go back to a gold standard in some way or, or try to back their currency in gold um, to you know bring some trust back because we're we're basically in this scenario where uh, people all over the world are losing trust at an incredible rate yeah uh, in their governments and their own currencies and so this would be a way for like you know maybe china or russia or you know um i mean right now the absolutely. uk is we, we, we absolutely see it happening in the last couple of years yeah. you know russia has been stockpiling gold china has been stockpiling gold so, so imagine about, imagine yeah yeah, no, no. So, sorry to cut you off. Uh, I was just gonna say, imagine one of those countries like actually like tries to go on a gold standard again. I mean, gold would have to be priced at like fifty thousand, a hundred thousand an ounce. Right now, it's at like you know less than two thousand bucks. It's like yeah. 1700 $1, bucks. So it's like <laughs> you know that that's the hope I think that those old guys have in gold is that like one of these countries is going to make that move and all of a sudden their shit's going to like hundred X or like 50 X. And I, I don't think that's impossible. I don't think that's a zero probability. I think there's like a small chance of that happening, but at the same time, I think as Bitcoiners, we know that that system breaks down really quick just because of all the flaws of gold. Like how does global yeah, commerce work yeah, with gold? Transportability. You can't, send, can't move it. You can't send gold over the internet. And I think that is like, it's a bare asset that can't be transported. That is the, like the biggest, and that's why gold always leads to fiat. It, historically, gold turns yep. into fiat claims, paper claims on gold because the transportability of gold is absolutely terrible. Dude, paper money was a was a scaling mechanism for the gold money system. Yeah. Um, it in a couple different ways, like it it's, helps with that transportability, it helps with divisibility, but it really uh, helped these governments basically make the money printer go crazy because, you know, you can very easily just, uh, you know, whip up a bunch of paper money. Uh, but, the, but, you know, the, <laughs> I also laugh because the, uh, I, I think I saw a couple stories in the last few years of like, China discovers that they're holding like pallets and pallets of tungsten. And it's just like, yeah. you know, yeah. even on the sovereign level, that, 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 that stuff is so fallible. So anyways. Yeah. Okay. Dude, I, let's get a little bit more philosophical. And we're not, we're not getting to these questions to the last questions just yet, but I, I really like listening to you and I like talking with you because it's, it just seems like, you know, I've, we've known each other for over a year now talking in spaces and and knowing each other on twitter and you just seem to know like you seem to have gone down a lot of different rabbit holes which i really like you know some people have like they know 
the tech side or they know the monetary history side or they know the cryptography side or whatever side of Bitcoin that they know, they understand that and they don't really venture into other parts. But I like how you venture into other parts. So my question for you is, okay, we know about Bitcoin, but like what matters, right? Like what really matters with everything? Like we have this clown world that we're living in. We have family, we have money, we got fiat money. Like what gets you so excited about Bitcoin or what gets you excited about life? Like what is it that really matters that's actual signal? And what's like, what is it in Bitcoin that matters more than anything? Wow. Um, well, what is it that matters in Bitcoin? I think is a bit of a, a, a narrower topic than, than what matters more broadly as far as you know, just being a human and living this human life. Um, I think, uh, I think for me, just maybe to keep it short, what matters in, uh, in life is uh, living. And I know that's kind of maybe sounds a little weird, but like a lot of people aren't living. It's profound. It's profound. (laughs) It's, I mean, like, but, but it's, it's crazy because I think our, our modern life is um it's actually like keeping people from living properly like everyone's indoors everyone's staring at screens everyone's sitting on their ass everyone's eating processed food and and you're you're sort of suppressing your your real like physical potential and spiritual potential and all these things all at the same time and people wonder why there's a lot of depression and anxiety and, and all these things. And so, you know, I think the the point of all of it largely is really just to be um, in, in the moment and experiencing um, this incredible thing that we have. I mean, some people call it a miracle. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, for me, I, I did mention, I, I, I got married and I'm a parent now. And I, I would say that, um, I, I kind of see now looking back over the last several years, how profoundly just becoming a parent has changed me. And so I, I highly encourage people um, to think about creating a family at some point, because I think that's really important. You know, we, we spend so much time as Bitcoiners, like trying to figure out the truth and trying to understand what's going on in the world. We, we need more people in the world doing that. And the best way that you can do that is to create some offspring and raise your kids right and get your kids to like understand the world from your point of view and lead them on the right path. I think it's a, I think it's a really big deal at the same time. um, You know, we, we, we need to, we need to, um, we need to create in order to, to make change in the world. So I think, narrowing it in a little more to the to the the bitcoin aspect of things is you know i mean there's this prophet on uh on twitter his name's yellow i think you know him you guys <laughs> but uh he he says that one of the important things we got to do during the the bear market is uh is build and that's legit like we have to we have to um take the protocol of bitcoin and and build on top of it and make more tools and create more interconnectivity and more 
specific solutions out of this very powerful, broad protocol and um, change our world. Like the world is not just gonna um, all have a light bulb go off at the same time and suddenly realize what Bitcoin is and, and run for it. Um, this is going to take a long time, but that 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 path is accelerated by people building great things and creating, um, you know, much more, uh, you know, accessible and tangible solutions out of this this foundation. So for me, like I, I about a year ago, I joined a company that is in the Bitcoin space. And that's been a really big change for me because I, I mentioned before I, I, I've been in, I've been working in tech for a while and I did spend a period of time working for a, a company that had a shit coin. And, you know, I, I didn't really feel um, like a lot of like uh, purpose yeah. and I, I wasn't living uh, to go back to my yeah. previous statement. I wasn't living fully working at that company and now working um, in a company that's focused on on Bitcoin and building on Bitcoin, it's um, it, it's it's transformational. And I feel like I'm I'm living much more with purpose. And my work and the energy I put into my work, I know, is going towards a real purpose. And, and those things are, I mean, that's kids find some way to build on Bitcoin, get a job at a Bitcoin company, start a Bitcoin company yourself, figure out some way to take this protocol and, and turn it into some tool to solve a problem uh, more specific than the broader problem that Bitcoin solves, take it and, and run and create. And that is how we're going to, change the world for the better is all of us uh contribute that way yeah it really makes me think like you know in in the in the internet era right which we're still in obviously but so many companies were created that couldn't exist before the internet you know and i think that's the same thing that's going to happen with bitcoin i think in you know 2025 2028 2029 we're going to really start to see this boom of companies that are Bitcoin native and, and we're already seeing some right now, but people haven't really gotten to wrap their minds around what Bitcoin is and what it can do. And so I think the possibilities that are, that are going to happen in the future with, a, with Bitcoin companies are going to be insane. And I think that's, what's so cool about us being in Bitcoin now and people go say, Oh, we're late to Bitcoin or whatever. It's like, no, we are so early. Like, like think about, there's one country right now that has Bitcoin as legal tender. Like we're insanely early. Hyperinflation has not happened in the dollar yet. Crazy early. So I think that's what people don't realize is just like what you said, if you can start building things right now, and this is what's fun for me and Marcus and, you know, and some of the guys in the meme factory is we have like, our, we have our own jobs and on the side, we get to do some podcasts and we get to, you know, do memes and we get to throw whatever, you know, having party and have fun. And, and that's for us, that's like building. But, you know, I think in the long run, we're just trying to, to spread the word and spread what Bitcoin is and get people excited about it. And as the more people get excited about it, then you, 
then you're going to get some some really smart people who are going to come in and are going to be able to figure out how to build um, on a Bitcoin only standard. And and that's what excites me is to see the things that are like the innovation that's going to happen is is going to be insane. And, you know, just I think Jameson Lop said or or Opti or I don't know who said it the other day was like, you know, we're going to be able to innovate faster than they can regulate. And that's exactly what's going to happen in Bitcoin, in my in my mind. Yeah, yeah that was like Nico. We still have to like we still have to cross that chasm. You know, I still always hang on to that. And that's been really clear how that's been playing out the whole like first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you. We're so clearly in that fight you stage still. And what comes after that is then you win. You know, once they stop fighting us and all of a sudden there's going to be this point where, all right, Bitcoin is here. We all see the benefit. Everybody understands what it is. And that's when it's just going to like grow through <laughs> like everything. I mean, some of the most bullish news I've heard last week was that... Um, I believe it was Google Pay or something is looking to start to integrate like Bitcoin and even some other cryptocurrencies or something into their Google Pay platform or whatever. I remember in 2017, we were always like speculating, like when is one of those big companies or Samsung or you know, some mainstream? But, you know, honestly, I think it's really just that, you know, the powers that be, whether it's the banks and the government, you know, they right now just still putting this blanket of disapproval over the whole crypto space. And that, that battle you know, it's just heating up. But once we break through that battle, then I think we're going to come out on the other side of like, yeah, massive adoption and growth, like you say, because I think there's a lot of companies who are already looking at it, you know, like you've got all these streaming apps, you know, the things you can do, we just like, if you just have like a, a, <laughs> a, a independent money, right? You don't have to deal with banks. It's just there. Anybody can transact with each other. You can send sats, you know, fractions of a cent across platforms between apps. You can send value. There's there's so much things, like you say, Sean, that could be built on top of that. And I think a lot of the reason why that doesn't happen is because a lot of people are just scared to touch Bitcoin because all the banks are screaming at you. Oh no, don't touch that. And it's used for money laundering and money business and bloody, bloody, blah, blah. And we're going to close your bank account if you do. So, yeah, that fight needs to needs to be fought first. At least I yeah, man, you, you guys both made me think of uh, really, really good stuff. Um, Sean, you were talking about like people thinking they're late to Bitcoin and how early we are. And I can't help but think about the Internet in the 90s, man. I'm old enough. I remember the Internet in the 90s and... <laughs> And it was there and you could use it and yeah. people were aware that there, modem, that there right? was such a, oh man, 14K. I remember the 14K <laughs> modems and like, and people, people yeah, were like, you couldn't use your phone line, like your landline. Yeah. You're using the internet. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. If somebody picked up the phone, it would screw up whatever you were doing on the, on the internet. And like, yeah, it, it's. And now I the mean, internet is on your phone and you can use. But that's the thing. The that's what I was going to say is like at the time, we knew that it was something we knew yeah. that it, it was really cool and interesting, but it was like a novelty. It was like a little toy off on the side and nobody could imagine how deeply it would integrate into everything the way we know it is today. In fact, I remember myself at some point, I think it was in the late nineties. I was like, man, I would never do anything with money on the internet. I remember thinking that because like, <laughs> yeah. because the whole technology just wasn't, it wasn't ubiquitous enough. It wasn't tested enough. It wasn't like, um, 
like everywhere. I look at Bitcoin kind of like that now. Like the people, we're we're really the deep down in the rabbit hole folks. We're down in the trenches. We 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 understand it a lot better than most people who even are aware of Bitcoin and are even fans of Bitcoin. But so many people still don't really see the 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 degree to which this is going to be everywhere and i'm confident of that that ties me into what market was marcus was saying which is you know there there's absolutely uh unbelievable momentum right now with what's happening with companies integrating and adopting bitcoin like in this bear market when nobody can even pay attention anymore you guys remember in uh, 2020 and 2021 every time some company like started doing anything with bitcoin it was like oh my god so so it's just and and nobody even says anything anymore it's like it's it's a little bit like like 20 companies on the bitcoin treasuries uh list yeah yeah (laughs) part of it is we're numb to it but the other part is because of the the bear market people aren't paying attention and what's happening is there's this snowball effect and there's massive companies getting involved right now and i know this for a fact because of what i know through my work like like things are happening big things big companies are getting in and whole industries are shifting because of this so i can't even imagine 10 years from now what it's going to look like when this is literally everywhere and it's integrated into everything and everyone's going to take it for granted the way they take the internet for granted now would you Give say one that, second? I need you, I need to make a little quick smash by here. I'm getting yeah, yeah. Really ah. <laughs> you say? Would you say the biggest thing out of everything that you know that's going on in Bitcoin right now is the having party coming up in 2024? <laughs> oh man, I, I I was looking at like Airbnb spots in El Zante for like a year and a half out. Like I was, I'm I'm already looking. I'm excited about that, man. I I want to come to that for sure, and uh, you know. I, I know it's going to be monumental for so many reasons. I'm hoping that a year and a half from now, there's a little more stability as far as like what's going on with the economy and, and we're all this like, yeah. like reverberations of, of war and all this stuff. Like it could be worse, but I'm yeah. hoping it's going to be better by then. And, and it's going to be an incredible time for wherever you are on the globe, make the journey and come to El Salvador hey. and come to this incredible party that these guys are going to be putting on. I'm, I'm excited about it. I've never been this excited about a party that was more than a year away. This is, oh. this is, uh, it's going to be fire. It is. It is. Okay. So thank you for that show. Uh, we'll send you, we'll send you your five <laughs> after the show for that. <laughs> thank is, you. Thank you. This is going to be like the, 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 the main, uh, yeah. the main <laughs> yeah. ad we're going to be running. I'm going to run this ad over. Yeah. Why not? I'm gonna t- you I'm know gonna how uh, the guys at Swan are constantly running this, uh, what Sailor said about yes. like, uh, Pacific. The sailor ad, yeah. <laughs> We've got CTC. <laughs> yeah, we got TC up in here telling everyone. Yeah, but I agree, man. It's uh, it should be uh, completely cool, but Sean, go ahead. You got some questions. Okay. Final three questions, TC. I don't know if you're ready for these. These are going to, I'm break, ready. These are going to break your brain. No, they're not. They're good. Uh, okay. So question number one, we kind of touched on this, but what, you know, what did you read or what did you learn or what did you listen to that finally made you swallow the orange pill when it just clicked? Well, um, for me, I gotta say the the first couple chapters of 
the Bitcoin standard were, were pretty heavy duty. Um, it kind of cemented a lot of perspective that I had already. But um, I mean, I think really it, it's just a culmination of things. I think that period in 2020 between like March and like, uh, you know, July, August, summer, mm-hmm. like everything just completely cemented all these perspectives that I had for the last decade or two. I mean, I didn't even tell you guys tell you guys i was i was paying attention to the the great recession back in 08 i remember going to these occupy wall street events and stuff where people couldn't people were going out of their minds that they spent 800 billion dollars to bail out the banks and now it's just untold trillions and everybody's doing nothing so i i've been i've been like paying attention to a lot of this stuff for a long time and i feel like 2020 was the catalyst year and it all just kind of came together combination of of books um I, I watched a lot of max kaiser back in the day and i saw you know uh, it, it was a trip actually like watching michael saylor kind of like discover all his yeah path to to bitcoin and that was like parallel to to the time when it was really um gelling for me so i don't know i mean all of that shit together um just um, cemented it it was it was it was 2020 was the year that just kind of like tied all those things together it was like it was the, like the the big Lebowski rug that tied the room together it just all kind of it like tied together all these perspectives for me um, the macro the hard money thing um, the the technology uh, the decentralization all, all this stuff finally um, hit me and I realized I was I was actually grateful I already had some Bitcoin from 2017, yeah. but uh, it was when I started fucking going crazy. Uh, it was 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are some orange pilling years for sure. 2019, you know, safety or whenever you came out that book, and then obviously COVID's gonna open your eyes if you're paying attention. So I can only imagine 2008 Occupy Wall Street, but not having the solution. You know, yeah. like now the difference is now we actually have a viable alternative which is working and operating independently on the side so you know what the solution was marcus at that time it was me and a couple other friends we all started just prepping this is when we started like getting into the whole prepping thing and you, you start know, buying you, gold you, you <laughs> i mean I, I i had a little bit back in the day but uh it was basically more about like guns food and water yeah. and self-defense and like how are you going to survive society breaking down but yeah, uh, right. that was the only, that was the that was where we put our attention back then. It, but it, I can only imagine if if uh, if we had Bitcoin back then. God damn, it makes sense, right? Like if we didn't if we didn't have Bitcoin right now, it would just like the future would seem kind of bleak, right? Because we would know that an impending currency crisis is happening, and there's nothing that we can. There are best our best way out of it would be gold, but you can't transfer. But then we go, well, you can't transfer gold over the internet. So how is that going to help us? You know, so Bitcoin really is that great orange hope, you know, in the future, which is kind of cool to think about. So, okay, next question. Number two, how do you see hyper Bitcoinization playing out? Well, um, I think it's going to be amazing because it's really going to change the world because it's not just going to be all these legacy things 
just coming to some sudden end and and bitcoin just instantly takes over it's going to be this transition and i i already referred to it that you know i i see that there's a lot of big entities adopting and 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 adapting to it already mm-hmm. and i think that's what it's going to look like i think we're going to see a lot of these big powerful corporations figure it out um we've already seen like like exxon Mobil is like mining bitcoin now like pretty seriously like they've already been dabbling in that for a yeah. while and it's like a trip to see them roll out um significant operations in multiple countries and it's like just fast forward that five ten years you know every other yeah exactly well but just imagine like how every other oil company like put all the the mining companies aside look at all the other energy companies that are gonna realize hey wait these guys figured out some new hack to kind of like improve the the their um you know, environmental impact, increased revenue, yeah. all this efficiency, like it's, it's a, it's kind of a no brainer at a certain point. I mean, this is, this speaks, I think, to, to what Bitcoin means to the, the yeah. world of businesses and, and economy is Bitcoin removes friction. Bitcoin yeah. adds efficiency. Bitcoin brings all these bottom line results. You don't have to convince, uh, uh, you know, totally um, focused entrepreneur that this thing is good. They just want to see the bottom line results and Bitcoin delivers the bottom line results. So you're going to see all of these characters, a lot of characters that, that we don't like so much like banks and these kind of institutions, they're going to figure this out and they're going to figure out that Bitcoin is going to save them from their own, poison of fiat so i think it's going to be interesting the hyper bitcoinization is going to look like something in between what we as bitcoiners have in our mind of like this brave new world and the death of fiat it's not quite going to be like that but it's also not going to be this clown world dystopia that we live in currently (laughs) it's gonna these two worlds are going to meet in the middle and that's where the bit the hyper bitcoinization is going to be I can't wait, honestly. That's a great answer. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're, and we're going to be laughing the whole way. Like, told you so. <laughs> yep. I really like that part. You know, like Bitcoin really does deliver. You know, if you look at like the Texas Power Grid examples like that, or ExxonMobil mining, you know, if you're instead of like flaring off gas, you're actually able to end one protect the environment well because you're not flaring anymore so you're reducing like those those natural gas uh what do you say like those greenhouse gases you're emitting and at the same time you're becoming you know you're turning like a liability into something that's actually you know putting some money back in your pocket and companies can't close their eyes to towards that you know at a certain point not only is not are they not going to like not look at it? They're going to have to explain themselves why they're not doing it. Why are you leaving money on the table? You know, so 100 yeah. and just wait till the banks figure out that they can move billions of dollars of <laughs> value for like pennies and fees. Yeah, it's it's like this is the thing. I'm just I feel like this is just right around the corner. These these financial institutions, when they realize the friction free, super cheap, super efficient final settlement, it's a it's a game changer. Yeah.
wait till I have to say though, I'm I'm sometimes a little bit disappointed by like how come they still don't see it, you know, like at the yeah, and I know organizations are as slow as as the people that work there, but sometimes you wonder like my God, like <laughs> well, it's because they, they it's because the pain. Titanic the Titanic hasn't broken in half yet. It's like a couple floors are filling with water, but it's still floating and it hasn't broken in half yet. But wait until it breaks in half. And then they're all going to be jumping ship. Like we're not quite there yet. We're almost there though. And they're, and they're making money off of the fiat system right now. Right. They're giving, they can, they have all these banks are fed chartered banks where they can create money out of nothing when they issue new loans and they're making a fee off of everything. So because my all money is credit that's what makes the banks money is is because they can charge all those fees on loans on interest and that's they're living off of the fiat standard and so they had there has to be something that drastically happens to make them decide that now we're going to live on a bitcoin standard because they can't control the money when it's on a bitcoin standard like they can on a fiat standard yep and okay. one, one quick question related to this. Sorry, I know you want to go to the last one. No, 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 go ahead. Does hyper, does hyper Bitcoinization involve people running their own nodes? How do you see that playing out? Mm-hmm. Because to me, you know, like we touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, like um, gold has this centralization effect because if you have a lot of it, you want to store it at a bank, right? Because you don't want to keep like a bunch of gold at home and it's hard to protect. It's costly to protect. It's all that stuff. But at the same time, you don't want to put it in a bank because that kind of defeats the purpose because now there you are trusting people again. Same thing with Bitcoin. You know, it's like you can you can like try to, you know, pay a mining company to run your miners for you. But in the end, you see like, OK, I'm trusting somebody again. So just curious, how do you see that? Yeah, part playing I, out? Are look, we all going to have like a, a node at home? Every person will have a node. I don't see why not. I honestly don't see why not. It's so it's so. Uh, crazy look at the again look at the example of the proliferation of the internet like if you go back 20 years every house didn't have a wi-fi box but you take for granted the fact that like you go in a restaurant you expect them to have some wi-fi like it's expected everywhere that's infrastructure that's infrastructure that helps that network proliferate and that's what a node is to Bitcoin. It's infrastructure that helps the network proliferate. It also helps sovereignty proliferate for the individuals that run their own nodes. And quite honestly, you know, clown world out there is doing a really good job of pushing people towards running their own node. Just like I think it's doing a really good job of pushing people towards self-custody. I think if you look at the average messaging from Bitcoiners about a year ago, it's banging the drum of of self-custody but there was a little bit of an attitude of well you don't have to run your own node it's cool to run a node but you don't have to and i feel like this year it's shifting and now it's like self self-custody no doubt run your own node no doubt and i think that that's just gonna kind of proliferate with bitcoin as it spreads is that you're just gonna see more and more uh, overreach from governments and uh, overreach from financial institutions and friction everywhere. And the solution to that is self-custody and run your own node. And you remove that friction and nobody can tell you that you can't transact. Shoot. You never know how these chips might end up turning out. Everyone might have their own miner in their house one of these days. You never, yeah, good point. never know. 
Intel inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some IBM. Okay. Shot 256 inside. Yeah. Okay. Last question. And this one is a little bit different, right? Okay. You've swallowed the orange pill. We talked about how, how hyper Bitcoinization is going to play out. We've talked about the clown world that fiat brings. What do you see as the biggest threat to Bitcoin? The biggest threat to Bitcoin. Right, because we got to be rational, right? If we believe all this is going to happen, we have to ask ourselves, okay, you know, this is what we study about, we talk about when we get into Bitcoin. Okay, how does this break down? How does this fail? If I'm going to put all my money into it, okay, what are the risk factors? What is, you know, what is Bitcoin's biggest threat? I mean, I, so I got two different answers. One answer is a technical one, which is... Um, Honestly, the biggest risk to Bitcoin is is some problem emerging in the code. Um, I I have a lot of confidence in that not occurring because there's more and more people with a vested interest in the success of Bitcoin as time goes on. While there there is a absolute like you know now they fight you stage. And there's very powerful people that want to see it fail. Um, it, it's really the the vulnerability that I'm talking about comes from the inside of, of some kind of bug emerging or some kind of flaw emerging or some incentive structure that goes wrong in some way. That's honestly... Are you talking about some kind of zero day that's still in there that could emerge? Or do you mean that well, some bad actors are trying to implement something in the code or what it's, do you, because it's, it's more like in, we, we, by we now bring it's been in, around for a long time, right? So exactly. doesn't that so, chance get smaller with time? Absolutely. So more time that Bitcoin keeps running without that kind of occurrence, the, the more, um, you know, evident it is that, that that's not there, but the thing is, is the code does constantly change. You get a couple um, there are get... there are small changes, yeah. but there are changes. And we do see these BIPs come and go. There was like a lot of attention and, you know, pretty heated discussion around BIP 11.9 when that came. And, um, you know, people. Um, that was the one that Jeremy see... Rubin, Jeremy Rubin was. Exactly. Yeah. And people people uh, tend to um, propose these things with very. Um, you know, optimistic and hopeful attitude towards, hey, look at this new feature. Look what this does. This is great for all these reasons. This is important for all these reasons. But every time you add a new functionality, you bring in, you introduce the possibility of either something new in the code or some new incentive structure or dynamic between the participants in Bitcoin that causes the behavior yeah to change because remember human behavior is one of the ingredients in bitcoin and yeah. so if the incentive structure changes if if the participants are behaving in a different way you could suddenly create a scenario or um, a dynamic that could uh be a big problem depending mm -hmm. on on how far it goes I was just going to say so bip stands for bitcoin improvement protocol which is basically like a soft it's a no, uh, no, Sean, it's a proposal. Bitcoin improvement proposal. Propo That's proposal. what a BIP is. Proposal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, you know, you got me thinking, all right, conspiracy theorist uh, cap time. 
like you get Klaus Schwab and Vitalik get together and they got some Ethereum Ethereum devs that they're paying to fake it as Bitcoin maxis. And then they come to work on Bitcoin and then all at once they make some, you know, that makes some uh, change. Proof of work. Yeah. <laughs> proof of stake, I mean. Yeah, they change it to proof of stake real quick. No, I don't know. I, I think that's still all the nodes have to agree. So it's just kind of hard to, to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, the other thing I was going to say, because I said I was going to give you two answers. The yes. second answer yeah. is really just the, like, how, how, what percentage of the population are, are sheep, you know, and to what degree do people get terrified into, um, you know, turning against something, you know, hyper-Bitcoinization does require more and more people in the world using this system and this network growing and Bitcoin falling into more hands. Um, and I think in the last couple of years, we've seen some profound evidence that there's a large percentage of the population that are, are, are very susceptible to, you know, fear and FUD and yeah, propaganda. Energy, uh, this energy thing is like- Man, that's what biggest, most people say. Pod. Absolutely. That's what most people I mean, say when they're like, oh, oh, Bitcoin. Well, isn't that bad for the environment? Yeah. I hear that out of so many people's mouths. Yeah. And it, it's not it's not a coincidence that like the European Central Bank and the IMF and the World Economic Forum, that they're all drumming on about climate, climate change. change. Yeah. Why is the freaking yep. central bank, the European Central Bank that doesn't have a climate mandate? Yeah. Talking about the climate all the time. And at the same time, they're trying to smear Bitcoin. And we all know that, you know, uh, a Bitcoin miner is as green as, uh, as a Tesla because they both run on electricity. So there's no carbon <laughs> emittance there. It's all about that energy mix. But that nuance is completely lost in, um, with the sheep, <laughs> to put it in your words. Man, the, the, there's vampires running the show. They know <laughs> that they can't stop Bitcoin. But what they can do is they can mess with people's heads. They can control and that, the and that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So well, they're going to keep doing that. It even by gets... the way, before people come down on me saying that it's as green as a Tesla, it's way greener than a Tesla because it's way it doesn't have any batteries and all that. So let's not go there. I agree. Yeah. Marcus is Don't a bear on miners. <laughs> no, I'm a bear on... Uh... <laughs> anyway, never mind. Go you ahead. got Tesla stock, apparently. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> no. Um it got me thinking too, like when you like a little thing that blows people's minds when you talk about Bitcoin is like when you become your own bank, right? Because most people say, oh, I, I don't want to, I, I want to give my money to the bank because I can't trust myself with it, you know? And I think that even that type of narrative too is, is going to be hard to get a lot of the quote unquote sheep, right? Or the sheeple to, to, to decide that they want to custody their own money that they want to hold their own money that they're the last line of resort against them having their money and them losing their money and i think that's what's really hard for people to to put together is like i'm actually becoming my own bank i am not going to rely on the bank to hold my money and that's good you know and i think it's so hard for people to to understand why the immutability uh, you know why there, you can't you know roll back the blockchain why why you don't want a bank to touch your money like you should not want someone else you should not trust someone else to hold the money that you've worked for for your whole life but yet that's like the that is it's the let me shirk that responsibility 
put it on somebody else. And that way I don't have to worry about it. Um, but in reality, you aren't free. You lose freedom when you give up control of your money to, to an entity like a bank. And people don't, they don't, they would rather have the, the perceived safety, which we're finding out it's not safe to give your money to banks and central banks. They'd, they'd rather have that perceived safety over the true freedom of what Bitcoin actually provides. Yeah, you know, people say that Bitcoin doesn't have a marketing department, and I disagree. The, uh, the central bankers and central planners of the world are the marketing department for Bitcoin because yeah. everything that they're doing is driving people towards seeing this and understanding everything you just said yeah. with more focus and clarity. You know, we, we, we've seen so many events in just the last year. You, you had the, the truckers in Canada getting their bank accounts shut down. Man, the poor people of Lebanon, Lebanon. getting a full-on bail-in. And, you know, honestly... Like this is the the reality of the current situation from the macro perspective is everything double that's digit getting, inflation across the board double yeah. digit inflation and all of this credit risk it's it's some of the more like complex stuff for for most people who aren't really tuned into macro to like listen to and if you listen to stuff that Greg Foss talks about you know these kind of things it's like the 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 credit default risk it basically means the risk of these debts not getting paid back is so high now, it's higher than yeah. it's ever been on the nation state level. And that includes powerful nations like the United States. The US doesn't have to pay back their debts though. They just get to print more and more and more. And so the whole system is heading towards a massive default. You know, the last time there was a massive default, the gold window closed. 1971, when gold was taken away from the money that was a default. That was the, the United States defaulting on its debts to all of its allies globally. So we're in one of these historical moments now. And in that moment, when things fail and these things default, uh, people are going to be, are, they're going to realize what a mirage the whole system is and all the safety that they perceived and all the certainty they perceived is just thin air. And they're going to they're gonna realize they need to self-custody their wealth. They need wealth that can't be, you know, uh, censored or confiscated, all of that good stuff. It's going to come right to the top importance and priority for people in that moment. And for me, that's, that's when the gear completely shifts and Bitcoin is not perceived as a risk asset anymore. It's perceived as the safe haven outside money hard money that it is boom what an ending uh tc yes <laughs> holy shit you really brought it today yes tc brought the fire today um well thanks That's why i love these talks sean yeah. hey tc thanks so much man <laughs> yeah hey you, you guys are awesome to talk to i could i could do this for hours thank <laughs> yeah. you so much for having me i really really had a good time yeah, man, give give people a handoff. Um, are you what are you building? If you want to let anyone know, or what, uh, where can people find you? Dude, every well, time um, I log into Twitter, I see TC in a space somewhere. So yes. uh, make sure find <laughs> hey, TC man, there you because know, if, if you're not jump, if you haven't had enough from today, you can find him there. Yes, spaces uh, like kind of replaced the podcast rotation to a, a great extent on this last year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, man, I, I, I can't divulge um, what I'm working on, um, but it's good Ooh. stuff, I promise. But like yeah, it. find me on Twitter, uh, meditation underscore man. 
is my handle. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm going to be kind of trying to go to some more conferences. I went to the first conference, my first Bitcoin conference, uh, Bitblock Boom, uh, just a couple months ago. And I'm planning on going to Pacific Bitcoin next month. Let's go. And um, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to be going to, you know, whatever conferences that I can make it to. And I'm definitely coming to that uh, that having party in El Salvador. Ooh. So that's where you can find me. All right. Sounds good, man. Um, thanks again, dude. And we're just going to close out here. Uh, as a reminder, we got the Mean Factory podcast this Thursday, 7.30 p.m. live. It's going to be a blast. Don't miss out on this episode. Um, that's with everyone from the Mean Factory. And remember, what you see here, what you hear here, when you leave here, don't just let it stay here. Please share, like, subscribe. If you found something interesting, you know, share it with a buddy, share it with a friend. Give us a comment. It helps out with the algorithm of people to find this show. And, um, and that just helps us out uh, with our podcast. Again, Ask for Bitcoiner's Guide, episode 34. From Mr. TC himself, playing Marcus and Big Sean. We're over now. See you in the next one. Peace.